0: This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and the guests, and do not necessarily reflect all Libyans. Welcome to the third episode of the podcast, I Don't Know Anything. My name is Emma, and in this podcast, I will explore world issues that I don't know anything about. I hope by inviting young people from these countries, you can understand the news a little bit better. Today I'm joined by Ravan Chavala, a young Libyan peace builder and part of the NGO Together We Build It. That NGO promotes security and peace through empowering young people and women. She's currently working on multiple projects, including one about women's meaningful participation in peace building on all levels, but she's also researching the history of Libyan music. Today, she's going to explain to me what is happening in Libya right now. Welcome Ravan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, it's really great to just talk about Libya, you know?
0: Yeah, so I don't actually know anything about Libya. Could you please give me some background information on Libya as a country?
1: Yes. So there's actually a funny story behind that. Before the revolution in 2011, when I say I'm from Libya, people would ask me, what is that? <laughs> or where is that? <laughs> So I would usually give the the regular answer, like, you know, we're in that big country in North Africa that's between Egypt and Tunisia, and they would like go, oh, yeah, 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 that one. And after the revolution, when I say I'm from Libya, they would ask, no, they wouldn't ask, they would comment like, oh, Gaddafi, war, oil, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then they would, like, literally, they would pause for a second and they would go like but that guy was great why kick him out <laughs> and you know that happened so many times and not to me only like um to ha- it happened to so many people and they would go like <laughs> no Gaddafi was not good because the, you know they see things from a different perspective oh, okay. like they connect the name of libya to Gaddafi and war only But Libya is is much, much more than that. We're not only defined by our dictatorship or our wars or our battles. Libya has been a standing country on its own. It has its own positive vibes and culture and traditions and people. There are so many beautiful things that are not exposed to the outer world. Um, So to give you a little bit of a brief about the country. So we are in North Africa. We are between Egypt and Tunisia. Libya is bordered by the Mediterranean Sea from the north, and it's bordered by, aside from Egypt and Tunisia, we're also bordered with Algeria, Chad, Sudan, and Niger. And this is a very important point because this also influenced the Libyan culture. Judging from the location of Libya, it also witnessed a lot of migration waves. So this is why it's very important to highlight that everyone who passed on Libyan ground, they influence it either directly or indirectly. And this is what makes it very rich in culture. So Libya is considered to be an Islamic country. More than 95% of the populations are Muslims, even though that doesn't exclude the fact that it has a lot of minority groups and indigenous peoples in different areas around the country, so we have Amazigh people in the west of the country, and then we have in the south the Tabu and Tuareg. and uh, the interesting fact that the Amazigh people are the native residents of North Africa, and then the Arabization wave happened, and then this is why the country is mostly composed of Arabs. Like I said, uh, Libya is pretty much influenced by everyone who passed uh, their grounds. So when you look at the culture, the traditions, you will see it very much influenced by Andalusi cultures, by the Ottoman period that ruled the region at one point. You will find a lot of Islamic traditions in it. So it's pretty much a mixture of, of a lot of cultures that produced this one beautiful piece of a country that it is right now. Mm. But unfortunately, in the Gaddafi rule for more than 40 years, the culture of Libya got really suppressed. So you find the cultural aspect of the country is less and less represented. I mean, when you come and look, for instance, at Tunisia or Morocco or Algeria, you will find that culture plays a big role in the country. Like, once you step into the country, you can see and feel their culture, you know? When it comes to Libya, it's not the case at all. Art, it's its not that represented. Culture is very suppressed. Even during the regime with the Amazigh people I mentioned, they were not allowed to practice their own culture. They were not allowed to speak their own language. So honestly, everything that's happening right now, the fault why people are not recognizing us as a country is because of the long lasting dictatorship that happened here. But Libyans were free after 2011. So we thought that this is a new age for us. This is our chance to shine. This is our chance to go out in the world and express ourselves and express our culture and be more liberal and then live happily ever after, you know. But then unfortunately, it's things got much, much worse. But to be honest, we do get a plus after the revolution that people are now more eager to showcase their culture. Now we have the spaces, now we have the opportunities to really introduce Libya to the world.
0: Is that also why you're now researching the history of Libyan music as well?
1: Yeah, so actually, this is a project that my friend is leading. She was like, once you Google Libyan music, you will find absolutely nothing. Mm. And it's so true. Like, you know, I was Googling Libyan music in English. So even in Arabic, you won't find that much of results. And when I was Googling it, whether in Arabic or in English, you would literally get referred to Tunisian music because North Africa has a lot of similarities when it comes to art and culture. So, for instance, when we talk about Malouf, which is one type of music that's heavily introduced in North Africa and it's practiced a lot here in Tripoli specifically. So, when you search that, you will automatically read about Malouf in Tunis or Malouf in Morocco or Malouf in Algeria because people really mislook the importance of documenting their own culture and their own history. And, like I said, I do not really blame them because we were suppressed for a very long time. We did not get the chance to do that. So, how can people get to know Libya more if we want them to If there aren't anything out there Mm. and they're not the blame that they only know us from Mm. Gaddafi and war, because there is nothing else there. Like when you Google Libya, you automatically refer to websites that talks about war and conflict and weapon trades and peace talks and, you know, all of that. But once you want to Google something that's about the country in itself, like the individuality of the country in itself, you will find nothing.
0: Mm. So I've seen Libya in the news for a very, very long time. As you mentioned as well, when people talk about Libya, we, we talk about Qaddafi, we talk about war. But honestly, I feel like I can't really follow it anymore. Could you just explain to me what is happening now and, and like what has happened over the years?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there was the Arab Spring that took place in 2011 and Libya was one of the countries to do a revolution against the dictatorship system that that was in the country. So ever since 2011, Libya has been going through so many wars because the revolution to us did not stop at 2011 and this is what people might not know and what the news might not share. Mm. So after 2011, we were considered a post-conflict country. <laughs> In the following years, especially after 2014, we're back at a conflict country. <laughs> so after 2011, up until 2014, at least the Western side of the country was a bit stable people were still striving for the peaceful political transitions people were so happy about their freedom Mm. people were really looking into the future and they were doing so much even though other parts of the country they still had a lot of conflicts going on but then since 2014 i consider it like the Mm. the breakdown you know like the big fireball that ate the country up uh, because ever mm. since 2014, we did not trust a day. Before 2014, I would go out in the street, in the memory of the revolution, people were celebrating mm. everywhere. Like you can literally get the euphoric sense that you're free, you know? Like this is a new country. This is a new, this is a new ground that you're standing on. And the, in the past few years, I could not feel that, not anymore. So what happened after 2011, like I said, so people were really looking forward into the future. We thought that we're going to rest. In 2014, what happened is a civil war that took place in the west of the country, particularly in Tripoli. And as consequences of that war was the burning of Tripoli's international airport. And then the escalation of conflict started. The consequences for shutting down and burning Tripoli's international airport were very extreme. We witnessed a fall down in the Libyan currency. We witnessed the relocation of the international community outside of Libya. So... Before 2014, you can literally see foreign people, international organizations, UN personnels, ambassadors, basically anyone outside from the Libyan grounds. You would find them very flexible. They would move from one place to another. A lot of projects were taking place. That, like I said, the country was reviving. The country was feeling alive. After 2014, everyone was gone. Uh, you will literally find no one. So the international community entirely got relocated in Tunisia. That includes embassies, UN entities, INGOs, journalists, er- everyone. Uh, I literally now, if I have to apply for a Schengen visa, for instance, I have to go to Tunis and apply from there. So we also we witnessed a fall down in the Libyan currency, uh, so the economy was was terrible, and it still is terrible. The human security conditions got really worsened.
0: Is that also the reason why foreign people had to move to Tunis to start projects on Libya, because it was unsafe, or...? just because they couldn't access it anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah, because it was unsafe. Mm, Uh, So the country was declared a high-risk security ground. So they had to move from it. But in Mm. 2016, the international community started to get back little by little. So we have the UN compounds, you would find UN personnels and and UN entities that are back to work. That lasted for 2016, 2017. Because even the Libyan civil society in 2014 got completely shut down. Like, not completely shut down, but a lot of people stopped their activities for at least two years. So in 2014, 2015, you really wouldn't found a lot of civil society activities that took place.
0: What was the reason for this that it all started in 2014? Was it like groups that just started to fight each other? What like what was the reason why it started in 2014 suddenly after like three years of maybe like how you said it, like happiness or like freedom? <laughs>
1: I don't wanna say that before 2014 it was the candy land as well, but then but yeah. again, <laughs> we at least still had hope. Mm. So, yeah, I think the, the problem was a political problem. So a group fought another group, a lot of conflicts that took place. So there's this, this one group that came to find another group. I don't want to mention like, the <laughs> names and the things exactly. But what you can say that there are two different groups or more than two different groups that fought on Tripoli grounds. And as consequences of that fight, they burned down the international airport of Tripoli. So even when you talk about all wars that took place after 2011, it's basically someone fighting another from different tribes or different groups or different cities just for political ambitions or more money or more power. Uh, for them not getting anything. And then it got more, more and more complicated. So we also witness Islamic groups that are fighting on the being ground, that are fighting other people as well, or fighting in different cities. So the, yeah. certain cities will take that as an excuse. So when they come and fight a battle, they will say, no, we're fighting the Islamic groups. Mm. You know, it, it got really, really complicated at, yeah. so, at certain points.
0: And then 2014 was like the, how you say it, like the high point where it just collapsed.
1: So yes, it just exploded because like I said, the the consequences were very big. Mm. It was a really dark year in Tripoli. In 2014, I was still relatively young. So I was, I think I was 18 years old. I didn't really understand the whole process of it. I did not really get really deep into the, the political aspect of it. So all I know is our country was going through war again. Yeah. The airport is no longer there. International community is no longer there. The conditions are very bad. This is, this is really messed up. So this is going to be it from now on. I wouldn't really call myself a, <laughs> a positive person at that stage um, because, you know, you always had the fear that you will go back to where you were years ago. And ever since then, people were st- started to compare Libya to Gaddafi regimes. So even up until now, people would say that if Gaddafi was still here, the situation would have been much better. We would at least be safe, that we would at least have electricity, we would at least have our, our simple rights granted. And you know, to be honest, like when I think about life before 2011, like I had a really amazing childhood. Everything was very calm. Like, I would see the city was amazing, you can do pretty much anything you want, but then again, that's from a child perspective. But Mm. then when I got older, in the past few years, when now I think about the years of Gaddafi regime, I would remember little moments, like when I mentioned Gaddafi, my mom would say, shush, don't say that, Uh, you cannot say these things in public. Or I would remember moments where we had to go out in protesting or do certain activities that we really didn't understand or uh, understand why. And, and in a sense that you were not forced, but you were led on to do them. So there were these little moments that now you realize that you weren't really a free person, you know. Okay. But then again, people still like romanticize about what was it like when Gaddafi was here especially when the electricity situation gets really bad or the you would find no money liquidity in the banks or any of the problems that we're now facing
0: yeah i think it's also easier to romanticize the past and and think about the future or think about the now exactly exactly
1: and so after 2014 and the uh, the airport war as we call it so Like I said, so in Mm. 2017, 2016, things were relatively more calmer. Again, when I talk, I talk about Tripoli because that's where I live. Things might not necessarily be as calmer as in other areas around the country. Yeah. Because the way Libya is after 2011, there were different conflicts, different civil wars that are taking place inside the country at different times in different places between different groups for different reasons. (laughs) Um, It was all very chaotic. It's mainly because since 2011 and the big wave of weapon circulations, the militias group were still there. The weapon was still there. No one tried to collect the weapons from the people because during the revolution, every household had at least one gun. So people did not want to give that up after the revolution. Families, gave them up, but when you talk about armed groups and militias, they did Mm. not want to give it up. And then the weapon trades got bigger and bigger, like more weapons are coming into the country with the already existing weapons. For Gaddafi, it was like a hobby to store weapons. The, The country was like a ticking bomb with a lot of aspects that can easily make it go off. So after 2014, there were other conflicts that took place in Tripoli, but then again, there were like minor ones that would last one or two months top also between different groups and different cities come and fight on Tripoli ground you know because the dream was like to take over the capital so this is yeah. why uh, a lot of the conflicts took place there so the dream is to take over the capital uh if you got the capital that then that means that you won yeah you know now you you got the whole cake for yourself So this is why like each time a city would come and try or a certain group would come and try I think there was a a big war in 2018-2017 that was also unsettling but then again the worst war to me after 2014 took place in 2019 so April 2019 it was a whole new perspective of civil war to us, especially in Tripoli. So, what happened is warlord Khalifa Haftar came from the east of the country and again to, for the mission to liberate the capital from the Islamic groups, mm-hmm. fighting the internationally recognized government that's located in uh, Tripoli. So, these two parties fought each other inside of Tripoli. So, the force came from the east and they surrounded the city and they wanted to, to get in. There were different allies with the two parties, but the war got really, really extreme because the forces were big. So there were more weapons involved this time, more groups involved this time, more manpower. And what made it much worse is the involvement of the international community. So it's the different countries also taking alliance with both of the groups and then like enforcing them and then us also like have a say in in what's being done and then and then again like enforcing the attack more and more so the war was absolutely horrible it to me it, it was much more horrible than the revolution itself you know because with the revolution you had a purpose of fighting you had a purpose that The country will be free after this. There is a sweet taste to the end result. With this and with years of conflict accumulated, you keep thinking, like, why are they fighting? What's the purpose? What if this ends? When is the next war? And also the consequences were very big this time. People got internally displaced from the city within the city. So people who lived in conflict area had to leave their places. At first, it was like couple of families and then it got more and more increased so it's like you were looking at hundreds of families that got internally displaced and when i say internally displaced like for instance they live in south of tripoli so they moved and took rents in the downtown tripoli or in other areas in tripoli some moved outside of tripoli but not at the very beginning and then the numbers started increasing even more and more so we reached hundreds of thousands of people that got internally displaced within tripoli it reached the point where there were no more rents within the city. There were no places to go and, and stay. It reached to the extent that certain people had to move twice. Like they would move from their original home. They would rent someplace else in the city and then the war zone gets closer and then they had to move uh, once again. People left everything behind. Like, so the war lasted for one year. Now that the war ended and I'm looking at the pictures of the houses that got destroyed, you can see that people left everything behind when they got out. Like one minute, they, they had to drop everything in their hands, get whatever essential it is and just leave their houses. This did not happen once or twice. Like this happens to hundreds of thousands of people within a very small Uh, region you know it's like seeing that it was extremely sad for me like you would pass certain streets and you would find like unfinished apartment buildings and you would find people taking refugee there and they're like setting up those places because when I say unfinished apartment buildings like they it has no windows no doors no nothing so but people just had to live like it has also no electricity no water And those places, like, sometimes they might be within the downtown Tripoli, you know, so it's a very vibrant place, like everyone who would go out from one place to another would have to pass these streets. At the beginning, people got displaced inside schools. So because of the war, schools also got shut down. So a lot of the buildings of schools turned into IDB camps also it was extremely devastating like seeing two or three families in small classrooms and there were a lot of schools with very bad conditions people who were once independent humans you know with their own house and their own cars and their own jobs, people who are educated and build their life from scratch, people who spend their whole life just to build that house and secure a future for their families. Now are just living from one place to another for a war that they had absolutely no interest in yeah. and for a war that that might even last much more than what it's lasting right now.
0: So sad.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's extremely terrible. <laughs> So in this war, particularly, like the war that took place in 2019. So I was also living uh, near a war zone, actually like, pretty close. But the area that I was living in, so they had machine, like those big machine uh, guns, like the ones that releases the like, rockets or something. Anyway, so the, like the machine is located hmm. very close to, to my house. So you would hear the rockets go off the entire day for a whole year all you can listen to is Mm -hmm. rockets sometimes they use the light ones so like the light ones are okay you can live with them but sometimes it gets it gets like really extremely intense that you would wake up in the middle of the night you would feel as if the rocket just fell inside your house but, you know, with the, with the year, you get more and more used to the sound. But in our case, at least, so because we had the, the rockets going from our neighborhood and it was placed at a, at a considerable distance from the actual war zone, so we had no rockets falling in. So we were only the people releasing, <laughs> releasing them. So we, ha- we did not receive anything. So this is why we did not get, we did not have to move from our own home.
0: So it stopped pretty recently because you said it only it lasts for a year and it started in April 2019 so it only finished like a few months ago
1: yeah 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 so only a couple of months ago the war completely stopped so the force that came mm. from the east went back to its original places and the city once again it's witnessing a certain peace peace only from the aspect that there are no machine guns anymore Yeah, but the minute the war stopped, people are also realizing more and more the how bad the situation still is. For instance, power cuts would last days. Sometimes they used to last hours, but now they last days. We've witnessed at least three blackouts last week. Mm -hmm. You know, blackout Mm -hmm. used to happen like once every uh, year. In the in the past several years, it actually before the revolution, Libya did not witness any power cuts. We're an oil-rich country, <laughs> so when you come and think about it, <laughs> how come we don't have electricity? <laughs> so power cuts are insane here. Also, there's no water in certain places. Like Water would literally come for a few days and then disappear again. So people in their homes, they have no water. We have a very serious cash li- liquidity problem, and so people cannot even get their own money from the banks. So this is very ridiculous, you know. So whenever I pass a bank and I would see people lining up, they're like completely miserable faces because, let's face it, the economy in itself is bad. And let alone you can't even get your money. It's an absolutely uh, another level of, of absurdness. Mm. When you look at the people standing outside the banks and, and you think that this is their money they're waiting for. So this is their money that they want to get. They're not like begging for money or they want charity Mm, or like this is they worked for this it's their right to get their money and they're treated absolutely in a way that makes you feel as if you're begging for it or you're like asking for it or and it's Mm. it's absolutely ridiculous it's it's heartbreaking whenever you see them so even now with the covid situation you would find people like literally on top of each other just to get a a number in the line or like to get their money and People that don't even think about the disease anymore because let's face it, the the life is much, much worse. Let's say if we catch the virus, we catch it. We just want our money at this point. So yeah, the the war stopped a couple of months ago, but again, the the situation here is extremely terrible. Also, the stopping of war does not mean peace because we still don't know where we're at. We're still at a, a conflict country. We're still don't know what's in store for us
0: mm.
1: because the political polarization that's currently taking place is very extent and it's mm. absolutely unsettling like you really can't predict what's going to happen like different areas in libya are ruled by different people and governmental institutes and, and you really can't predict at this point what's really going to happen next
0: so there's no progress in the peace talks to Make sure that the country is getting stable again?
1: So there are peace talks that taking place. But to be honest, nothing, nothing, nothing's on ground yet. Mm. I, I personally cannot trust uh, what's out there in the media about the peace talks unless I see something with my own eyes or witness it. But at least we're back at the point of the peace talks and peace negotiations and we're talking about it. But then again, mm. it's absolutely unpredictable. So you, you really can't tell. Because, like I said, the political polarization that's happening right now, it's absolutely... The roots are very much extended at this point. So it's going to take quite a while and quite an effort in order to resolve that and get out with a solution at the
0: end. Mm. We briefly also talked about what the experience is of living in Libya today. Like how you said there was water and electricity shutoffs and like hearing guns all the time or rockets sounds and also the economy just collapsing is there anything else like how is it being a young libyan person in libya today i
1: can go to into so many aspects with that question <laughs> <laughs>
0: So how is it
1: like to be a young Libyan? So I'm going to talk from the perspective that I'm a young woman here. Yeah. And how is it like for me to live in a country like this? But for young people in general, it's absolutely bad. There is the, the good and the bad. Okay. So after the 2011, there were more opportunities for young people to do their own things. Before 2011, for instance, we did not know what civil society is. So the civil society got born in 2011. And with the civil society, more opportunities were introduced to young people. I'm seeing a lot of young people doing a lot of initiatives, implementing a lot of projects in different aspects, whether they were on a political level, but also like on an environmental level or on a peace building level, on a reconciliation level, there are, there are a lot of things that are taking place right now. But with the civil society, young people, they did a lot of these activities as volunteers. Some were able to make a living out of them. Some were still continuing to do these activities as volunteers. So at the end, like now at twenty twenty, I feel that people are drained. Like the people who were in the civil society for a while now, they feel like as if they're drained. They were giving so much, but the country did not give them anything back, or they didn't see the results that they aspired to see. Uh, So it's they're very at the crucial point. Like they still want to do a lot of good things, but then again they started also to get older.
0: Yeah.
1: They want more opportunities, they want more jobs, but they also still want to continue doing what they've been doing. Mm. Like the unemployment amongst young people is, is absolutely crazy. It's really hard for young people to, to get jobs, especially in certain fields and in certain areas. Yeah. Like for instance, my sister studies petroleum engineering, but like newly graduates, their lack of trainings, their lack lacking job opportunities, So youth in Libya feeling a bit devastated because they can't really achieve their dreams or get their dream job or do their dream thing. Mm. So the later wave that took place in in the last several years, we find a lot of young people doing social entrepreneurship projects. So this is the, the turnover, yeah. you know, from doing uh, only civil society work and humanitarian aid. People were thinking about sustainability of their projects, but also like in a way for them to to get something out of it as well. Yeah. So we've been witnessing a lot of social entrepreneurship projects uh, that took place in the country. Mm. So this is a very good point. Like I said, there's the bitter and there's the sweet uh, aspect of it yeah so there are a lot of initiatives that young people started in order to build peace but also like Mm. overcome the unemployment wave and the bad circumstances that are taking place in the country
0: yeah you also work for an organization that deals specifically with women, peace and security. Could you also offer us any insight of what Libyan women are doing inside the country? Because you told me now that young people are starting their own businesses, starting to you know, think about ways to survive. Is there anything you can specifically say for Libyan women?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I have uh, the privilege to speak on behalf of young people and women both. <laughs> so I'm also like suffering from the aspect of uh, the young people are suffering from. But also suffering from the fact that you're women in this country. Yeah. Literally, it's like any other area in the Middle East or North Africa. But Libya is a special case. Like the way I see it, it's the gender based issues here are very extent. It's very difficult to walk for minutes without getting harassed mm. for instance people still consider women issues are secondary issues you still have the conversation that oh you work with a libyan organization about women right but you you women have all your rights in the country like what are you talking about also we see the separation between women and young people uh, this is also even amongst activists and people mm. who are active in the field like young people do not integrate gender in their works or the issues that they work on. And women do not integrate young people with the issues and the projects they're implementing. Mm. You know, so like I'm torn between two places because... Even when young people speak about certain things, I I pause for a minute and I say, okay, but that's not the case for for women. You know, you have to take in consideration yeah. the gender aspect. And when women speak about things that women are going through, and I go like, okay, but then again, you have to take in consideration the young people because it's also very different for them. Mm, yeah. But the circumstances for Libyan women, it's it's, it's quite the struggle. So. I, I was privileged to enough to be raised by feminist parents. So like my dad believes if you're a woman that doesn't excuse you from doing men things. At first it started as a harsh thing considering the context I live in. But then like the more I look at it, I realize, oh, okay, right. my dad is a feminist. That's... But then again, I was only privileged within the, the four walls of my house. So once I step outside the street, it's an absolutely different case for women. You would find like women who are not able, for instance, to work, women who are not able to drive. You would find young girls who got married at a very early age. Uh, You would find like gender-based violence everywhere once I walked out of my house, you know? Mm. And the thing is, with the Libyan community, people did not uh, admit the problem and do not want to admit the problem that's happening to women. So what I see as problems, people do not see as problems, which is absolutely dangerous. Like, when a woman cannot get her full rights, when a woman is subjected to violence and cannot stand up for herself. Because, like I said, it's one of those countries that women are not granted everything they should be granted. It's still the struggle for them to actually do their own thing, you know? But the plus side... So, like, I I also like to talk about the positive things. So, after the revolution... uh, People were very drained, like after the conflict, people were extremely drained, especially the men, because they're the ones who fought the battle. Even though women helped a lot uh, within the revolution, they provided a huge amount of assistance, but Mm -hmm. men, they were extremely drained. And a lot lost their jobs, a lot used to work in certain things that are no longer there. So women had to persevere, women had to like wake up and do something about their own families so it started off as small businesses like women would cook in their houses and sell the food or like do things and then sell them and then like those small businesses and then more and more with the opportunities granted from the services like i see the civil society opened a lot of doors for libyans so more and more people were started to think more strategically women started to think more strategically and they started to expand their work more they started to encourage each other more and it reached the point where the economy was really enriched by women, whether uh, old or, or young, uh, by women who started their own things and, and like being out there in a context that at one point did not allow them to. Yeah. So now it's the thing, you know, for women to, to start their own business or start their own project. And the funny thing, like the men in the family would allow this, even though like you're talking about a very restricted community when it comes to gaining money, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> so you women use that to their advantage. So if we're talking about sustainable peace, if we're talking about uh, a democratic transition, we need to be diverse in terms of uh, who mm-hmm. include, and inclusive in terms of really looking at everything, like looking at all aspects of yeah. it. You cannot really solve a war problem by only having senior men on one table. Because the war you're trying to solve also affected young people. It also affected women. So you only discussing like a very short-term solution does not really do mm-hmm. good to the country in general, and this would make the problem more and more... And pretty much since 2014 and since the relocation of the international community, international actors became the main mediators of the peace process in Libya. So it's very important to also point your speech at the international actors as well, because it's within their hands to include and exclude women as much as the national government. So it's really their fault if women were not on the table as well.
0: Mm. This is really, really interesting. Just to summarize... All that you talked about what's happening in Libya right now. So in 2011, Qaddafi got removed. The dictatorship ended. Before that, there was, what you said, 40 years' dictatorship in Libya? More than 40 years. More than 40 years. Oh, wow. And then 2011, you have the revolution, the Arab Spring. And as you said, that didn't really stop. Because even though you felt more free in 2014, it kind of exploded. Like, the all the groups it started... Or we're already fighting, but this was like the the high point where the airport got completely destructed. And then you said we have several wars that have happened then between different regions, between different cities, between different groups, right? Yeah. And then you said the biggest war was actually last year that ended a few months ago. And that really destructed a lot. Yeah. This sounds very, very negative. And also where you said with the peace talks that you weren't really sure or that there's nothing yet specific on the ground. Do you have hope for the future? Do you think things will change? It feels like you're a bit skeptic or at least as if it's like a calm before the storm, you know, like there's still something about to happen.
1: Well, I mean like when you don't have power for at least a week now like constant power cut for a week now and you've been witnessing a power cut for more than two yeah. months and it's been happening like for the over uh, 10 years, you really tend to be skeptical a bit. <laughs> there are moments when you feel full of hope. You'd say that this has been the case for a lot of countries, a lot of revolutions. Also, when you like read uh, other case studies, you also think that this took time. The Libyan context is not that complicated. Uh, solutions ought to be made very soon. But then again, what's happening right now, like I said, with the worsening of the citizens condition, you're really left to drain, you're really left sceptical, you're really left negative, you don't really have the ability to mm. look up to the future literally like what's on everyone's mind it's i don't care what will happen next i just want to flee the country i just want to move out and you can't really blame them you know even i personally reached that point like i said i don't want to live here anymore i just want to get out where a place i can feel my own dignity where a place i can really pursue my dreams and do something but the beauty of working in the civil society the beauty of meeting different peoples from around the country or talking to people from around the country, it really fills you with hope, you know, at that one moment, you really feel that those people are amazing. Those people are doing a lot of good things. Uh, Libyans are very kind at heart. Like the future cannot be so bad because those people are still here. And I'm very sure that they will find their way to each other and, and really do something for this country. What I just hope for is that we really don't want to see any more international uh, interference. You know, if Libyans were just left for each other, they would come and mm-hmm. together and sit and have a solution. The international interference, the feeding of Libyan brains to get more power and get more money, it's, it's really what's wrecking the country. Because Libyans amongst each other, we're like... We're very interconnected. Literally, yeah. people always speak about how Libya is divided by tribes or Libyans are very uh, aggressive with each other. And it's, it's always a tribal war. It's always that. But when you come and actually study mm. the Libyan context, people from different cities are extremely connected, especially that I live here in Tripoli, like you would find people from mm. all around of Libya living in harmony like that's possible that's not an impossible thing so also like politicians or international actors insisting that peace is difficult to be as a complex case Libyan people are fighting each other but no that's not the case libyan people love each other it's just the war and the the bad circumstances that what separated them at this point
0: is there anything we can do to help because i think most of us are listening to this and think this is just horrible and this has been happening for almost 10 years even this is such a long time as well and as you said also international actors play a role i'm sure that most of us that are listening to this somehow our country is playing a role in what's happening in libya today is there anything we as young people and or anyone that's listening to this can do to help
1: So yeah, as you mentioned, and I just just want to clear out that international actors are taking place into this conflict, but also international communities have also been helpful with the Libyan civil society. And there is definitely for the listeners that they can do as well. So as I mentioned, with the last war, a lot of people got internally displaced from their own homes. You're mm. really talking about a massive number of people that got displaced, like homes were completely wrecked, like literally set to the ground, you know. But there's this Libyan group that started a GoFundMe yeah. campaign. Actually started a couple of months ago, so they're collecting money to renovate some of the houses and some of the areas. So they're doing a really an amazing job. They're like studying where the places and they're like trying to help people as much mm. as they can. I can share the link with you, Emma, and you can really donate and help and help people really get back to their homes.
0: Mm, this is beautiful. Uh, I will put the link in the description of the podcast and also on our Instagram page. For our last question for our listeners today, do you have any recommendation if our listeners want to dive deeper into this issue, into getting to know Libya more, any websites or Instagram accounts that we should follow?
1: Yeah. Like I said, my hope is for Libya not to be defined by war or Gaddafi or oil, you know? The country is really beautiful. There are a lot of people doing a lot of beautiful things to really bring out the oh. culture. So there are websites and pages that you can, mm. you can follow. There is an art organization called Waraq. They're doing a lot of artistic pieces on Libya. So it's actually founded by an Amazigh young girl. She's doing an amazing work. She's done a lot of exhibits around the world. So it's really wonderful if you want to check the cultural artistic aspect of Libya. There is another young woman who's writing articles to introduce different Mm. aspects of Libya. She's called Malak Taib. I can also share the links to those websites as well. So she has a blog to write about all kinds of things. Like, if you want to know about, for instance, Libyan Jews or if you want to know about like young musicians or even political topics, uh, humanitarian topics, cultural topics, artistic topics, she really writes about it all. So her blog is a very rich place to get information about Libya. If you want to also know more about uh, the Libyan context in specific and really what's happening, there are organizations that produce researches and reports about the current situation So for instance, the organization I work with, uh, Together We Build It, we produce a lot of research reports about the women and young people, peace and security situation in the country. I also encourage people to like when they look at the news in libya or like when news passes by try to look for local or national expertise try to look at the news from a national point of view i mean literally when you write for instance libya in the twitter search you will find a lot of political analysis that they're actually sharing news about Libya that are Libyans. It's much, much better to look at mm. things from a national point of view because they usually have the whole context. Even when they write and use or certain things, it's not that misleading.
0: Mm. Thank you. This is really, really interesting, these recommendations as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rahan. I really understood all uh, what you explained and it was a very easy explanation of what's happening in Libya today. See, not oh, so
1: complex, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's so complex, but I think you really explained it in a way that would be understandable for everyone to listen to. If you want to look up Rawan online, you can find her at KMK on Instagram and Twitter. And she has also a public book blog page on Instagram at book and then qmk. U E T underscore R. You can also look up all these on our Instagram page at I Don't Know Anything Podcast, where I will also post all the links and recommendations that I want talked about today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in next week. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. <laughs>